Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. So glad you're here. If you are here watching your family members sing. We are sincerely glad that you are here today and pray that this service blesses you. And uh, we started a, a teaching series last week that we're calling The Christmas Story because really the goal of this series wasn't to tell you what the Christmas story was or tell you, or, or tell you the, the specifics of what happened on the Christmas story and what happened around the Christmas story because if you've been alive any amount of time in the United States, you, you probably know what happened on Christmas. Jesus was born. Jesus was the savior of the world. But what I wanted to do today, or not just today, but with this series, is for us to look at the Christmas story, maybe from a different lens, so you can hopefully, as we are in a culture that is consuming you with wanting to take Christmas and make it about something completely other than Jesus, hopefully have the wonder and beauty of the Christmas season reignited. And so last week, we talked about the context of Christmas. How many of you enjoyed last week's message? I gave you the cheesiest phrase last week. You remember what that is? Somebody tell me. It's not, you don't need contact lenses. You need, come on, because y'all are my favorite. You guys were listening. You need context lenses, Jared, right? You need context Lenses. So last week we talked about the context, what surrounded the Christmas story. And today I want to talk to you about the characters of Christmas, specifically a character of Christmas. Here, here, here is the goal for today. The goal for today is to understand how God normally works and who he usually works through. There is a verse in the Bible that says God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Essentially saying God works differently than the way we typically think he does or the way we want him to. Has anybody experienced this? You've got a plan. You try to implement your plan. God has other plans. And then it's typically his plan that ends up prevailing. And then you end up looking back and be like, God's plan was actually better than what I had planned. His plans are not our plans. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And really, here's the thing. It's not just how God works, but Christmas is a microcosm of how God normally works and who he usually works through. So I want you to see the Christmas story, not just what happened, but kind of the, kind of just like how God works, right? Because like, here's the thing. If, if you were planning, right? So, so let's say Todd, right? Todd, you were planning your own arrival as the savior of the world. Who's, who's that, Dwayne? Dwayne. Like, if, now, I know how Dwayne would do it, right? <laughs> yeah, Dwayne would be taller. Dwayne would be 6'8", but instead the Lord gave him 5'4", and a quarter. Add that quarter. The quarter ain't on. 5'4", and a quarter. No, but if, if you were planning your own arrival as Savior of the world, how would you do it? Most people... Now, y'all don't judge me for this, because I know Disney, like some people have cut off Disney because they're like, Disney's gone rogue, and Disney's gone liberal, I mean, all, all this stuff, right? But one of my favorite movies growing up was the movie Aladdin. 
I can show you the way. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. See, I got all the guys in here judging me. Like, come on, bro, where's your man card? You can't be out here singing Aladdin. But <laughs> give it up. <laughs> but I don't know if you remember when Prince Ali came on the scene. Okay, do we have that? Hey, there we, there we go. Like Prince Ali, fabulous, he, Ali, Ababa. Right? I don't remember any of the words. Something Down on one knee. So try your best to stay calm. Stay up on your Sunday salon. But, like, if, if, if I was to plan an arrival to be the savior of the world, this is what it would look like. Give me some elephants. Give me some giraffes. Give me some... Give me some, give me a crowd, give me a parade, give me a band. Let's go. We party. But if you know anything about the Christmas story and how the Savior of the world actually came and how his arrival was actually done, was it anything like that? It was actually the complete opposite. It was in a no-name place done through no-name people, done in a not-spectacular way. Actually, Mary birthed Jesus in a, and I mean, there are people, there was a barn, a stable, a place where the animals were at and went to the back. Like, there was no room for them in where they were going. And it was just, it, it's just wild to think the Savior of the world, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. The way he arrived was completely different than anyone thought the Savior of the world would come. But I, I, don't, I don't know if you really understand, though, this is actually a track record, not just of how Christmas worked, but a track record of what you actually see in the Bible. How God works isn't the way we would typically work or many times the way we want him. I mean, just think about who God used in the Christmas story. Joseph. I mean, God used a crazy, insecure, narcissistic political leader named King Herod. God used shepherd. God used wise men. God used these no-name people to essentially bring about his plan of bringing the Savior of the of. The world, And there's many characters of Christmas that I could talk about today, but the one that I want to specifically focus on is Mother Mary. Mary, because when you look at all of the people in the Christmas story that would, would be the most unusual character that God would use to bring about his purpose and his plan, Mary tops the list. Because she was an unwed teenager, peasant woman, that God said, I'm going to... Birth my plan through. I'm going to birth my plan through. And, and really, if we are candid, this should actually be such good news to us. Because this, the Christmas story in general, but the Christmas person in particular, that God birthed this whole thing through, shows us that God is not afraid to work through imperfect, messy, circumstances and people to accomplish his plan. And when I said that, that includes all of us. Imperfect, messy lives. And what my heart is today is to see that through the, the Christmas story that you will actually see, if you are available and you are aware, God wants to use you as well. 
God wants to use you. If God will use Mary, he'll use you. If God will take no-name people from no-name town, he'll, he'll, we qualify as that. But that's how God works. So today I want to look at not just what happened, but who the Christmas story happened through, specifically Mary. So we can say, what can Mary teach us? What can God teach us through his word about the plan? So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give you the ABCs of being used by God. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. This is the specific point. Luke is, is a gospel writer. Now, let me give you some background about Luke. Luke was an actual historian. If you read the first few verses of Luke, Luke was actually gathering information about Jesus' life from people that were eyewitness. So what... So when you read the book of Luke, it's not just something that somebody just got from some, like, angel and transcribed. What Luke actually said is, I went and spoke to the eyewitnesses. So he was, so he was essentially like a reporter. He went and said, I, and, and said, I gathered eyewitness accounts of this story of Jesus, and I put them together in an, in an orderly account so people that read this letter beyond this time will be able to hear and see and know the message of Jesus is legit and true. And now, thousands of years later, we are, we are getting to read this. And so Luke points this specific point out about Mary in the Christmas story. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was her, what was she, Dwayne, to Jesus? You're the Bible scholar here. Elizabeth. What was Elizabeth? Cousin. Yes. See, I don't know every, 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 everything, y'all. I sometimes jump in and I'm like, I, well, I, should, I should possibly bring, bring that out. Okay. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor. Everyone say favor. Favor, favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. She's like, hey, Gabriel, I've been in health class, okay, in the local school. That's not how I've heard children get conceived. Um, the angel replied, holy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary was not the prototypical person that people were perceiving the Savior would come to. Let me just give you a couple commentary thoughts that I read about Mary. I'm going to share them with you. Writer Kent, uh, writer Kent Hughes said this, From all indicators, her life and her being Mary would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like the thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Daniel, um, what's this guy's name? Daniel Darling says this here. He says, and yet it is Mary who not only receives the first announcement of the Christ child, but who is chosen by God 
to bear the Son of God. This tells us something about Mary, her simple faith and her willingness to say yes to God, but it tells us more about Mary's God. We often think God works through extreme giftedness or among those who are wealthy and well-connected, but the Christmas story reminds us that God moves in and among those whom society most often leaves behind. That the thread of redemption woven throughout Scripture winds its way through a lot of small towns and seemingly little lives. You know it's true. And that's why we have to study the Christmas story, and specifically Mary. Because here's, here's the thing. I, I want God's will and God's way to work its way through this little town, through even seemingly little people here. Okay? So, I'm, so today I'm going to give you the ABCs of being used by God. The ABCs. That, now, I had to, you know, preachers try to make things memorable. Okay? So I had to do some finagling to get these ABCs to fit, <laughs> right? So hopefully you'll get with, or hopefully you'll understand. Luke 1, 28, this is what it said. It said, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, let's just be candid, because if some people had an angel appear to them today, they would not know it because they're on their cell phone. Literally, an angel would appear, and they'd, and they'd be like, you laugh because you know it's true. We, we laugh at things because there's a hint of truth in it. And one of, one of the challenges in this era, in this time, where we are in an attention economy, they're wanting to get your attention. When this gets your attention or when, when other screens, electronics, whatever, then you will possibly tend to miss the holy things around you. You will tend to miss God speaking in and through what is around you. The first point is this. Become aware. Everyone say aware. Be aware of God's presence in the mundane. Be aware of God's presence. I believe there is holy moments happening around us all day, everywhere. It's not the fact that God isn't speaking or the opportunities to be Jesus to someone else are not there. It's are we aware of them? Do we have a Holy Spirit awareness of actually what is going on around me? You know what? It actually says there's this little verse in Hebrews chapter 13 that says that that. Be hospitable, because when you are hospitable, you could have actually entertained angels without even knowing it. What he's saying is, is like, you never know. This stranger could actually be an angel that God is sending to see how will you treat someone made in my image. And so we have to be Aware, as Jesus followers, we have to be aware of the holy moments around us. Because Jesus isn't just there when you feel him. The spirit isn't just there. Needs aren't there just when you feel it. They're there when you are aware of them. And if we aren't careful, we will think there is holy but not here. And the truth is, here is holy not just whatever there is. 
here when you are raising your child at home and you want to pull your hair out is just as holy as being in a worship service when we're lifting our hands. Both of those are holy moments. But just because one feels like hell and one feels like heaven, I'm just kidding, <laughs> partially. <laughs> but here's the thing. Have you always noticed you always want the season you're not in? You always notice you want the person you, you don't have? You always notice you want the job you don't have? We are a culture, if we are not careful, we will look at and stare at and admire somebody else's lawn at the neglect of our own. And we will look at and, wow, look at that blade of grass. Look at the cut lines. And if Ryan Sparks is in here, this is his yard. <laughs> Ryan Sparks here, man. He's got them lines on the curb. My lines look like a blind guy did them <laughs> with a half-working weed eater. His lines look like he took scissors. Right? Like, you know, like, like. If, we, if we're not careful, and this could be a job, this could be a relationship, marriage, this could be our, our culture's training us to just, well, I wish I could be there. Wish I could have that wife. Wish I could have that husband. Wish I could have that lifestyle. Wish I could make that much money. I wish, I wish, I wish. And we will wish our lives looking at someone else's grass instead of saying, have I even watered mine? Have I even watered mine? And we have to be careful that we don't get into this, well, when I get there, then I'll consider it holy. When I get that job, then I'll take it serious. When I get this relationship, then I'll. If we live in a when I, then I'll, we will have the possibility of missing the God that is here. Because God is not just there. He's here. You know what a dangerous prayer is? God, use me right here. How much would that change the way you see your job? How much would that change the way you see the people at your job? So many people live sentenced to their lives instead of sent. When Christians live sen sentenced, we become victims. I hate my life. You know, and, and then you endure instead of saying, I have been sent here to be the hands and feet and presence of God. And we will miss moments and we'll miss holy moments, holy opportunities, holy encounters because we are just, oh, when I get, when I, when I, when I, instead of doing the hard work of saying, God, make me aware of you being right here. I, and I mean, Mary noticed the angel. She noticed the holy moment, the holy opportunity that was there. And what I want to challenge us to do is if we, I pray that we would be a church of where here is holy. Here is holy. Not just there. Not when you get everything you want, the perfect way, the perfect circumstances, that you'll be like, you know what, I am in a mess, but God's in the mess. The Christmas story shows God's in the mess. He's more than able and willing to work in the mess if we will be aware to be there. Is that good? That's good. That's going to help some of you because that's going to redefine the way you see people, your marriage, your job. Your that's that's going to help the way you see everything. The second thing, though, we, we see is this, number two. See, so, so here's the thing, right? A, B, C's. A was aware, okay? Two, welcome the battle. The B is the battle. I love this point because Mary makes me feel so heard. 
You ever have somebody, you say something to them about a situation and they respond back to you, I feel so seen. I feel so heard. My wife does that all the time. She'll be like scrolling and someone's talking about, you know, uh, some sort of kind of something she's walking through and she'll say, I feel so seen. I feel so heard. And that's what this does because Mary, when God says, you're favored, an angel, you're favored, the Lord is with you. Her response was confused, disturbed. Verse number 29 says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive, give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll, he'll, he'll be great, called the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Great stuff, right? Your favor, God's with you. He's chosen you. He's going to be great. But then Mary asked, how can this happen? I kind of haven't had, is there kids in here? I don't know. They haven't had sex yet. Do you, do you see, here's the thing. In response to God's favor and God's plan, Mary was confused, disturbed, and asked, how can this happen? Y'all, this is real life. This is a real response when God calls somebody to do something. And what I have unfortunately heard in the church is if sometimes if we are real, people think we don't have faith. Well, honestly, I have, ha- I have seen Christians in church. They are sick, like coughing, like COVID was funny. Because I remember hearing people, people like, they have COVID. And they're like, I'm not sick. Nope. I'm not going to give the devil a foothold. <laughs> and the devil is like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, but I get the heart behind it. Because the heart behind it is I don't want the devil to hear my words proclaiming something. And I, I somewhat agree with that. But the devil has, lived, has been around a while. He can tell when someone is sick. He can see probably your test. Like, it's not like you saying you aren't sick is probably going to trick him. But I get the fact of it's like you want to make sure that you aren't believing what you're saying. But what I want to say is confessing is different than acknowledging. Confessing a condition is different than acknowledging a condition. And what we've been taught in the church is Don't confess it, but what we have heard is we can't even acknowledge. So we can't even acknowledge that we have some wounds. We can't even acknowledge we have some hurt. We can't even acknowledge maybe there are some variables that have deeply influenced why we are the way we are. And people will hear that, oh, you just don't have faith. What? Acknowledging something does not mean you are confessing or wanting to be held bondage by it. Can it trend that way if you let it? Absolutely, because you can say something so many times that you actually start to become defined by it. That's that's why it's so important you need discernment here. But acknowledging doesn't mean you're a victim. Acknowledging can actually be self-awareness. And what I love here is that Luke, the writer who was writing this story, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, doesn't say, gladly welcomed, excited, had no fears, all was well. Mary had no other issues after this came, angel came to her. He writes what's real. He writes what's honest. He writes what our response would be. 
confused and dazed and how can I mean thinking of eyes of flesh? I haven't been I haven't done that. God and I know how it happens. So if I happen, I'm not I'm not doing that with Joseph until we get married. We have see here's here's the thing, right? Romans chapter four, right? One of the best, one of my favorite ways of teaching this is Father Abraham. Who God came to him in Genesis and said, through you, the world's going to be blessed. Through your offspring. So he was telling, he was, he was telling him, you're going to have a child. But Abraham was like over 100 years old. Yeah. That's biology, y'all. I don't know what kind of herbs they had back then. And this was after the flood. So this was not like pre-flood where people lived hundreds of years. This is like the 110-year thing. He's 100. And, and But God, God fulfilled the promise, but Paul gives some commentary, Romans chapter 4. This is what he says. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. But then it says, without wake, weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. Everyone say, face the fact. Face the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. And, what, and, and Sarah's womb, she was a hundred. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Do you, do you know what I love here? Abraham faced the fact of what reality was. He acknowledged, but then he said, I know who my God is. And acknowledging doesn't mean you're denying who God is. Acknowledging means you're a human. Acknowledging means you have emotions that feel a certain thing. And if you can't feel safe to acknowledge those things, that's not healthy. Because I think we have a generation of, of Christians that have been afraid to acknowledge. And it has made them emotionally deficient. Because then they think, I have to fake to God. I can't be real. I can't acknowledge pain. I can't acknowledge my past. I can't acknowledge because they're scared thinking if I say it, I don't have faith. Abraham shows us you can face the fact but still have faith. And what you actually see Mary doing is she moves forward in spite of her dazed, in spite of being confused, in spite of being disturbed, in spite of saying, I don't know biologically how this is going to happen. She moved forward. Faith doesn't mean you don't doubt. Faith means you move forward with the doubt. Faith doesn't mean you always walk and all, no, it, it means it's a faith step. You step, you step, and you might have these things the way that I've described this before. You might have doubt and worry and confusion in the passenger seat, in the back seat, but faith, in the, faith is in the driver's seat. And it's the one driving. So my heart is, is that you would see acknowledging confession are different, and you can walk acknowledging the truth, yet being fearless and faithless in who, what God said and what he's promised. It's crazy how it's, the truth is, is God's purpose is usually the path of most resistance. And it, isn't it crazy how we always want, we always equate God's will to be in the path of least res, resistance? We actually try to plan the path of least resistance. Here's the thing, favor doesn't always equal ease. Hello. Some of y'all want to, God favor me. You sure? You, sh you sure you want that favor? Because usually God's favor is equated with 
get ready. Because the truth is this, God isn't just concerned about the purpose. He wants to develop your faith and trust him as you're accomplishing that purpose. God isn't just into what is the outcome. God is into how is it going to develop you to be more like him. We can be so concerned about what's going to happen, and God is more concerned about saying, who are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? And I just think we have, unfortunately, a generation of people that whenever we face difficulty, whenever we face confusion, whenever we face some pushback, we admit, well, God's not in it. The favor's left. And I'm like, you have to be sure. You, you have to. This is why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy. You need that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. You need wise voices around you. And you need God's word. The way that I tell anyone, how do I make a decision when you don't know what to do? You need to seek the spirit of God. What is that still small voice inside of you saying? Secondly, ask people that are wiser than you. Get people that are, like, like ask them, what do you think? And then third, look in God's word. Look in God's word. All right, we have God be, be what? aware of God's presence. B, well, welcome the battle. And you really need to welcome it. Instead of saying if there is a battle, you're, you're not a Christian or you shouldn't do it, you welcome it. Okay? And the third, third, and the thirdly, here is the C. We understand calling. We understand calling. I'm going to take some time and talk about this word calling because there ain't no funnier word in church than calling. Am I, am I right, Dwayne? Christians get funny with this word calling. Right, Luke 138, right? Mary responds, I'm the Lord's servant. After, after disturbed, confused, all these things, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. What, what was she saying? She was essentially saying, Lord, I've received the call. I received the assignment. I receive it. This word calling, we normally want to equate to God's will. So, you know, we will have something that will say, I'm not called to that. Bro, I just asked you to pick up, a pe- like, pick up some trash. Like, I'm not called to janitorial ministry. You know, like, <laughs> like y'all laughing, but... Spiritual people can be funny because if God didn't tell me to do it, I'm not doing it. Whoo! You better be locked in to the Spirit of God. And I think we misunderstand this word calling because we've made it too spiritual. And we've actually misaligned what we're actually called to. Because many times we equate calling with, you know, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? And so we want God to speak to us about that call. And we want absolute clarity. But I think we misalign calls because we don't realize we are not called to something first. We're called to somebody first. And your call to somebody precedes your call to something but we put much more emphasis on the call to something than we do the call to somebody. 
the way that I say it is God's will is not a do, it's a who. We always want God's will when it comes to God, what do you want me to do? Lord, please. I saw a bumper stick. I saw a license plate that had North Carolina on. Lord, I've been praying about this, moving to Raleigh. And I saw that North Carolina license plate. I think God's speaking. You know, like, I'm not joking because some of y'all do, do that, okay? Like, you're looking for little signs. But what I'm saying is you put so much more passion into the something than the somebody. I mean, honestly, I think for most people, it's like 90, 10, 80, 20. We're seeking God. What, what do you, who do you want me to marry? Who do you want me to be, person, place, thing, job? When the first call that is for all Christians, all Jesus followers, is to somebody. And if you mix the two, you will end up using God to get your will instead of submitting your will to his. That's where it gets messed up. Because then God becomes a tool to get what we want. Instead of praying what Jesus prayed when he was about to go through something he did not want to do. He was about to be crucified. He was in the garden praying. And he said, God, this is what I would like. Can you find someone else? But not my will. Your will be done. And if you don't get these calls aligned right, you will use God to get what you want. If these are aligned right, God will use you to accomplish what he wants. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3, because it's so clear. It says this. It is, and for context, this is Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica that he planted, and he was writing a letter to them. He says, it is God's will that you should move to Raleigh. It is God's will that you should marry. It is God's will. God, because, you know what he says? It is God's will that you should be what? Sanctified. Sanctified is a Christian word. You sanctified, saved, sealed, delivered, sanctified. That word sanctified simply means you are becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more holy. More and more not doing but becoming. And I love this because it puts out the clearness of what God's will first and foremost is. It's a who, not a do. I love what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9 says. Do we have that one? Jolana, can you throw that up there for me? This right here is Peter speaking to a group of churches. He says this, but you are a what? Chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Essentially saying this, like you are chosen for somebody. And then as you are chosen for somebody, then you are called to go and be somebody. Called to somebody and then go be somebody as you have the call of the somebody on your life. And here, here is where I think Christians get mixed up is we get too much into the sacred and secular divide. I talked a little bit about this in the online message a couple weeks back, saying how Christians can get into this, what I do at work and what I do at church are completely separated. They don't have any connection. They are not important. So, they, so what you end up doing is you end up compartmentalizing your faith. So Jesus fits into the church thing. He fits when you're in private, but he doesn't fit at work. 
He doesn't fit at home. He doesn't fit in your job. He doesn't fit when you're doing your hobbies. He doesn't fit. So, we, so then we kind of say, when I'm in my prayer closet, that is more holy than when I'm on the golf course. In my prayer closet is more holy and is more sacred than when I am cooking dinner. And when we get into that mindset, we can miss, going back to, to the first point, miss the fact that that's not the way Jesus saw it. He saw each moment, each time, each encounter, each person as a potential holy moment that there could be an encounter with God. But if we use this calling thing to say, I'm only called in certain things, instead of saying my calling comes from somebody, and then it works its way into some, something, because everybody is called to somebody, it makes every something holy. You work for the city, it's holy, man. You work for NASA, it's holy ground. You're a full-time mom, that's holy ground. You, you do landscape, it's holy ground. You're a computer tech guy, it's holy ground. It's holy ground. I love what Paul says to this church in Corinth. He says this, what he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever, everyone say whatever. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know what Paul meant by whatever? The Greek word there actually means whatever. <laughs> like whatever you do. And some of you are missing the holiness and call in what you do because you think it's less than my call. We have a lot of Christians thinking only pastors are called. We have a group of Christians, we have a church that thinks, well, John, you're the called one. No. The reason why the church isn't doing what the church is called to do is because people think they just come and spectate. They just come and spectate instead of saying the church isn't something you go to, the church is something we are. That I am not just called because of what I do, preaching, teaching, leading, all of those things. That And my... You know, with a higher call comes a higher responsibility. Scripture says, when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to be judged more harshly. If you want that, there's Bible school. You can get into ministry. But my call is not any as important as your call into office. And the more we think that, the less the impact the church will have. Because it's just a couple of, no, as a Christian, you are called. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, a holy nation, called out so you can go and declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Paul said, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do you know one of the best ways to show Christ at your job is to do your job amazing? You know one of the best ways, one of the best ways to make people see Jesus isn't true or real or actually has a deep impact on your life is to do your job terribly. Because as Christians, we should see what we do as I'm called. I'm, I'm called to somebody. So because I'm called to somebody, it makes the something holy. Because I'm not doing it for me. Who am I doing it for? The glory of God. The glory of God should be seen in how you cut grass. The glory of God should be seen in how you design graphics. The glory of God should be revealed in how you sell to people. 
The glory of God should be seen in how you build ships. The glory of God should be seen through his people who are all called. And because we're all called, it makes all we do holy ground. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said, because this is what he taught and preached. He said, if a man is what? Called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. It's powerful, isn't it? You know what? It puts purpose in what you do, y'all. God did not create Christians to be purposeless. He gave work as a blessing before the fall. Work was holy. Work was considered holy. And so my heart is that we would not have this sacred and secular divide where some of you will think, well, John, you're the called one. Dwayne, you're the called one. Carrie, you're the called one. Like, y'all the called one. No, y'all, we all the called one. If we follow Jesus, we're all called. And until our church believes that and lives that, we won't be as effective as we could be. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. We're, we're going to kind of like end here. I'm not sure who's playing keys. Y'all can go ahead and come on up. Look at God. It's only 10, 12. This could be the shortest sermon I've preached in a long time. It says this. Um, Paul says this. Do you not know that your bodies, so everyone go like this. Don't hit your neighbor. Your bodies, okay, are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit's God. It's the Spirit of God who is in you, whom you have received from God. So what he's saying here is the Spirit of God used to dwell in a temple. But when Jesus came and he tore the veil, the Spirit of God does not dwell in a, in a place anymore. He dwells in people. And that as a Christian, you actually become the temple where the Holy Spirit is now resting. We could take the whole service and just let that sit in. Because now, Mary carried Jesus. But guess who we carry? The Spirit. Mary carried something holy. We carry something holy. Go back real quick. First Corinthians 6. I'm going to read this. Like, right? it, it says, you are not your own. That goes against everything culture tells you. Be your own thing. Do you, boo-boo. When you want, how you want, when you want, with whomever you want. It's your life. YOLO, FOMO, GoPro, I don't know. All the slogans. It's all you, baby. Do what you want. It's yours, not as a Jesus follower. We don't say, this is my life. God fit into it. We say, you gave me life. I give it back to you. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is what I think Mary did. She said, this is, this womb is not mine. It's God's. And if he wants to use it, it's his. 
at the core of being used by God is really saying, whose do you think you are? Do you really think you're your own and, you know, that, that if God wants you, it's, you know, it's like, or do you see yourself as, I'm nothing, like, I'm not my own. God, as, as a Christian, God's given me a spirit to dwell inside of me. God, whatever you want to do through me, may our response be like Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Happy way. And I just want to kind of give you the Pastor John Ware version of the Bible, if that's okay. This is not an official version. It's called the PJW, Pastor John Ware version of Mary's response. She basically said, here I am. I'm available. Use me. What if we had, not just the church, what if we had, well, listen, Steve, listen, what if we had a church full of people that call Lifehouse home that are part of our church that have said, here I am, I'm available. Use me. I will carry the spirit of God wherever I go. And as I carry the spirit of God, as I call to somebody, I will take whatever something I do and make it holy. I will be available. I will be aware. I'll bat, I won't be afraid to battle when those confusing, disturbing thoughts come. And I will make sure I have a right understanding of calling. My heart today, as you would see, you are anointed, church. You are anointed. You are called. Not just me. It's you. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.